Gaming and BS episode 302 being recorded Monday, July 13th, 2020. Welcome to Gaming and BS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm Sean. <coughs> I'm Brett. I can't breathe water. <laughs> Good lord. Been drinking water all this time, Sean. You think I'd figured out how to breathe it by now. <laughs> I know, man. Anyway, I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad everybody's here. Sean, how the hell are you, man? Can't complain, Brett. We can, but no one's going to listen. Except it's me. true. Because I love you. I'll listen to you. But we can talk about that later. Virtual GameholeCon event registration and badges available. So link in the show notes, GameholeCon.com, of course, if you're interested. Ooh, Sean's got the shirt. They've had some pretty cool shirt ideas, or I shouldn't say ideas, different shirt types and logos, images they've been splashed around, so that's pretty slick. Very, very cool. So, Sean, you won an all-inclusive copy. Of well, before Burn- you... Whoa, 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 sorry. Whoa, before you get into off, that, whoa, 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 so whoa, I know whoa, whoa, Josh whoa. Wallace has submitted a couple games, or at least one game to GameCon oh, yeah? you know, under you? our banner. Did you? I did. I submitted my Delta Green game, which I'll be running for four lucky patrons. I will be running that same scenario for Gamehole Con, scheduled for Thursday night, I think starting at 8 p.m. It's a four-hour game. So if you are wanting to play in that game, then you will not want to watch the actual play of the Delta Green game I'm about to run in a couple Yeah, because every game Sean runs is exact carbon copy of the previous well... Now, there will be spoilers, blah, blah, blah. Right. I get it, I get it. So, but yeah, I'm going to put in one Mothership mothership game during that con. So this, then, is the, this is the opposite of the last two years. I am now being shamed. You are in before me. Well, you know. Damn. You okay. Know? And then I will see, I think we could put just an, an actual, just a meeting event on there, and then I'll see how many how many people Zoom can handle, and I'll just call it the Gaming and BS Social. I'll tell you, not only is how many people can Zoom handle, but how many can actually talk. Reason is, a friend of mine, um, my one of my gamers, JR's father, passed away not that long ago, and it was a Zoom funeral, and it was a clustered fucking mess. Oh, really? Yeah. Try to get Zoom with like 50 people dialing in type of thing, all trying to talk at once. You can't hear anything. So it's kind of like, it's like an online meeting. You've got to organize and control it, facilitate the discussion, I think, is what we'll have to do. Not that either you you nor I don't know how to do that. We could totally do it. I think it might be a, just got to keep it, keep that in mind, I guess. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So I got to get some damn games out there. All right. All right. No, I'm on so it. We'll I'm on it. And now you mentioned this in September. <laughs> Of 2018. So 2018, we had it as a die roll that this this thing was being developed was in like uh, testing for Roll Twenty putting out what's called Burn Bright, which is a game. It's a scenario or game. Actually, it's a game that was developed with the platform in mind, which is Roll Twenty. So everything else has been ported to Roll Twenty, right? Hey, you're gonna play Call of Cthulhu. They put Call of Cthulhu books in there. Maps, tiles, tokens, whatever, and die rollers. Burn Bright, headed up by James Intricasso, 
It's got Darcy Ross was in, involved. Um, uh, Jim McClure and well, this one is, other person. This is for that platform, like you said, right? It so it's, was yeah. explicitly yeah. designed and developed for Roll20, and I watched a stream, got into a raffle, and I won. Holy crap. <laughs> that's good <laughs> for you, man. It's never happened. Hit the applause button. That's yeah. awesome. Oh, I yeah, can't believe right. you won yeah. something. Holy shit. And now I don't know if I'll play it or run it because uh, I don't know if it's necessarily my jam. I'm going to take a look at it. I may just pick it up or buy it. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I thought what we do is I will figure out a way to see who is interested in maybe obtaining it. And I mean everything. I got everything. It's not like, oh, I got a rule book and some tiles. Like It's a shit ton of material. Like you got the whole enchilada. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so I was thinking if a BSer um, would be interested in exploring it or wanting a co- like this full-blown, I have the access key. I haven't used it. And I would just – so I don't know if we'll do it from random – uh, or if it's from email signups, we'll figure something out, but I will give that copy away to somebody. Oh, very nice of you, man. We got it for nothing. Give it away. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. Hey, I, like, I like the way you think, man. It's good stuff. Th- thanks, Brett. That's good. That's very yeah. good. Anything yeah, but, else? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. Did uh, Gaming? Did yeah, you game I did. This week? Um, last week, Tuesday, my Avalon game went off without a hitch. That went really well. Um, it was a big, kind of a quasi downtime session a lot of people trying to figure out what came next um my buddy nick his character has been gunning to try to become a holy warrior of the temple of hermes and um there <laughs> had a wonderful opportunity to surprise him which is that i don't get to do that often his character gets taken up in front of the of the church after the other priest had died there's a big funeral to be had and they're waiting for the quote-unquote new priest to arrive and it's nick <laughs> so Nick was like, "Hey, surprise, kid! Guess what? You're a priest now. Get to work." <laughs> it was uh, more to it than that. It was, it was from a game perspective, knowing Nick and how he set it up, it worked out really, really well. It was wonderful. Guys are taking over. I got one guy who's retiring his character already. He wants to become the innkeeper. He took over the one-eyed raven, the inn. Other people have uh, moved on to different things, and finally, at the end of it, they're like, "Oh yeah, and those vampires. Yeah, we gotta take care of those vampires yet." So they. Haven't forgotten the uh, major bad guy that's still roaming around the neighborhood, so that's cool. And my kids decided after we played Call of Cthulhu last week, and um, they both died. Actually, no, they didn't both die. AJ died. Ilana escaped, and uh, her character's placed in a mental institution for us to our natural life. Um, that was because of poor planning on their part. <laughs> they still had a good time. But we decided, okay, that was fun. We played uh, a couple games of Call of Cthulhu or Trail of Cthulhu as well. What do we want to do next? And they chose Middle-Earth role-playing. So they want to do something old-school, very different, just to have the experience because they've heard me tell the stories. So this Wednesday, I'm rolling up Merp, Merp characters at home for the first time. Middle-Earth role-playing with the kiddies. Yeah, they're going to have fun. Wow. And actually, that conversation led to the topic for today as well. Wow. So It's all time. It's all Ted together. How about you, Sean? Get a... Uh, you, did you finally wrap up the tomb, Tomb of Annihilation? I, I wrapped up Tomb of Annihilation, and it came to a slow fizzle. Oh, did Jeff's character make it? His it was Paladin like this survived? is how it ended. No, no, so, did his Paladin survive? He did, did. Okay. 
but it, it was like sitting on a whoopee cushion and not having it be very funny. It was basically that. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, I was a little disappointed and. Uh, so who's who's I, fault? Oh, Sean, <coughs> fault is that? I am the dungeon master. I will take full responsibility. <laughs> but I, I, I at the end was like, I don't want to play five E anymore. Are you serious? Yeah, I was really pissed off. So it was a, a game thing. It wasn't like the story ended. Something dumb happened. It was uh, the dice fucked me. I hate this game. Well, so I had a a buddy of mine that I I worked with in my last job who was going through Tomb of Annihilation, and he was. Two weeks, three weeks, four weeks ahead of me. And I can't remember. It's, I don't know if the Dungeon Master was new or if they were, um, if they had quite a bit of experience. Excuse me. Regardless, he told me they got to the end. And, you know, I, th- I think he might have said it was like a bloodbath. Oh, wow. So when he, exp- so I'm like, oh, okay. And when I got to it, I read it. And I'm like, there, there, I. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. No spoilers. Whatever. Here's the deal. If yeah. you're running Pathfinder 3.0 or 5e, and you only have one baddie, and you have six or seven player characters, it doesn't matter. It doesn't action matter. Eco- action economy basically states the side with the most turns is going to win. It's ridiculous. It was totally ridiculous. I so mean, they just, you're talking, they just stomped the shit out of your bad guy. Well, you're talking... Well, okay, so I don't think this is a big secret, right? There's a lich at the end, and <gasps> it's going to bring the, the big... You mean the thing on the covers? The thing inside? Fucking spoilers. Sorry. All right, there you go. And there's Power Word Kill. Brett, do you know the spell Power Word Kill in 5e? In 5e, I do not. I know that it used to be, I think it was 50 points or less, you just died back in the old days. But I believe you actually get a saving throw now or something like that? You... uh do not uh, get a saving throw. Uh, you you have to have less than 100 hit points. Less than 100, okay. Less than 100 hit points or you die. Um, which is fine, but it's not if all the party members have more than 100 hit points. Oh, so the uh, really cool thing you don't get to use. So you have to whittle them down below 100 hit points and then use it. Well... I got Mr. Paladin Jeff Boy that's like dealing, I think he dealt like 140 hit points of damage in one round. Wow. 140 hit points. Yeah, if the creature you choose has 100 hit points or fewer, it dies. Yeah. Oh, so you just have to wait till they're whittled down past 100 right. hit points and then. Well, you know. right. And there's a, there is something in the game that I will not divulge because that is potentially a spoiler. Mm hmm. But let's just say that it would not be uncommon for all your party members to have over 100 hit points going into that encounter. Fair. So the problem I had was I didn't have enough dweebs out there to kind of futz with them, right? To oh, even get need, in the you way. You need some more mooks. You need more mooks. You need more, more skele- mooks, skeleton, man. something, some critters, something. Kill the Redonc- guests. Redonculus. Um, Redonculus. So if you run that again, you know how to change that up now. Oh, yeah. More bad guys. More bad guys. I like it. So, yeah, I was kind of like, meh, meh. <sighs> and then I ended it. It's over. There you go. Uh, Two I, years worth. Of work. I mean, Jeff was so nervous, he was shaking. That's awesome. <laughs> and then it was like a walk in the park when that he was, was like dealing 140 hit points of damage. Oh, hey there, Shumbo. Guess we got this one. Oh, look at that. 
dead lich man whoa <laughs> god you should have saw him brett oh he's gonna uh, he might be listening to this that's awesome oh but i'll tell you what though in um I think you're dead on. The action economy basically states indirectly the side with the most attacks usually wins. Which is one of the things that 4E had, which the more I, I only played a little bit of 4E, i.e. one game, read enough about it, talked to plenty of people, the MOOC concept that they had, you know, the, basically one hit point ogres, if you will, right? At a certain level, you know, these grunts, these you know, they have all the same to hits and damage and they have all the powers and stuff, but they only have one hit point. So you can take them out. But, you know, a bevy of specters, even at MOOC level specters or something that's with, they're still draining, they're still hitting, they're doing things to the characters. So you even out that action economy perspective, right? Where that's not 16 attacks against two. Right. Because usually the one with two gets their ass handed to them. On I stick. totally screwed it up. I totally screwed it up. Hey, it was like the one encounter out of two years where it was like, I, this is screwed up. Like all the other encounters, all the puzzles, all the baddies. The complicated all the, undead minotaurs. The amazing, yeah, minotaurs. You figured that shit out. Yeah, all figured that. that out. It's all big, no big deal. It was, it was too easy and you messed it up. I messed it up. They, I they think they still wanted to play. I think, I know Andy wanted to kind of continue and I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm done uh, with this. With this particular set of characters and adventure and storyline, let's wrap this up. Well, man, you know, better luck next time. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I don't know. I told him, I told him about like Zweihander, low fantasy gaming. I'm like, in Zweihander, man, you get hurt. It takes you a week. Yeah. What's like Call of Cthulhu? Get shot. Good luck. Yeah. Well, and then you could get like an infection. And then your arm gets cut off because they have to amputate it. Like, that's that's that game. And I said, yep. this shit, I mean, they're running around with minor artifacts now. I mean, like, I got, I don't have time for this shit. I'm what not going to run what level through that crap. What level are these guys? 10th or 11th? Hey. Hey, yeah. I had the Ring of Winter and all this other crap I'll tell going you, man, on. for me, for me, well, I'll talk about that later. Anyway. I just could. Random encounter? Random encounter. Do it. Random encounter. Let's move Random on. Random encounter. Segment of the show where we field comments, emails, voicemails. Speaking yeah. of, let's yeah. uh let's let's let Sean relax and listen to uh Blake Ryan talk to us for a little bit. The the sultry tones of Blake Ryan. G'day, this is Blake Ryan, just uh responding to the building your own RPG system. Uh, I agree with Brett. You don't have to publish your world. You can do it and just, uh, uh, you know, do it up nice in pages or publisher and release copies to your gaming friends. One reason to make your own game is if you're using bits from different games, you can end up with three to five books open. And even with PDFs, this can be a hassle. So you figure it's easy just to merge it into a document where you know where it all is and that it flows with your gaming style. Use a contents page with hyperlinks and bookmarks. They work, you know, in Word or PDFs. And this shows consideration to the reader, including you, and you want them to enjoy reading the book. Yes, I have made supplements for other games and released my own game. Don't pay the ferryman. Uh, does it work? Yes. Every game I ran, people had fun. Is it a huge commercial success? No. Uh, have I learned some things? Yes. You know, will I try making a new game or doing a bigger vision on my existing one? Probably. It's nice to have a project to work on, you know, things you care about.
there are hundreds of games out there and if you look on itch.io or drive through yes you should look through searching for keywords etc i recommend doing multiple searches with different keywords rather than putting them all in and once and waiting through a long list uh, different skill sets are required like you can have awesome ideas written on a page but if the page is garish colors or the layout is a mess people won't take it seriously you can learn by looking through other what they do at other books compare and contrast what you know who has done what when and use their lessons in your product regarding layout you don't want just text more than two pages in a row becomes a wall of text that makes um, readers tune out you want to break up things with pictures and tables and flowcharts getting across your information in different ways um, for some stock art is a dirty word but I can say you know, check it out there's heaps of really good stock art on, on drive through some of it's uh, really good you know you want borders or dividers it's there you want black and white add to give it an OSR feel lots of that there too there's also really good high quality colour art uh, one of the tricks I use is to write one chapter and then work on a second chapter and three days later I go back to the first chapter and read it out loud and you go hmm I need to rewrite these sentences or reorder the paragraph to make it flow better and that way you experience it as a reader I will say you need to be clear when you write things don't put oh you can kind of do this and maybe do that instead say here are your options A, B, C this will let your readers know your style and tone for the game which will set it apart and inform your audience play test your game it can be it can be okay we need to test social mechanics so we will do three quick scenarios with characters of different goals and outlooks record it with audacity or video etc so you can go back and review it you will find your lessons in one area of your game will inform your choices in other areas and this is part of the joy of making games regarding creativity what i do is write notes if i think of an idea i write it down i'll put it in google calendar as a reminder and then review my notes once a week every movie i've ever seen has given me an idea you gotta let your mind wander and run with it totally agree with brett um, that it doesn't have to be official to be fun every single designer out there has made mistakes some learned from them and some didn't you can learn from their mistakes and successes too all right happy gaming fellas blake ryan good stuff man thank you blake yeah brett's gonna put that on speed dial so when yeah. he starts plugging away like oh yeah I'm going to record that and then listen to it. Well, I knew at some point, you know, we've got some feedback coming in on the forums around it too, I know. And there's really good perspectives and ideas. And like I said, even if it's just a labor of love, it's a little project for yourself and just your gaming group, or sometimes it's just for you and you really don't plan to do much other than just, hey, I made a thing, neat. Sometimes people like to do that stuff. And that's totally fine. But um, these type of things... That type of information that Blake gave gave us here and what some of the other listeners have said in the forums and such, sometimes that's like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a good thought. That's a that's another piece, another bit of inspiration or something I should keep in mind because as you're going through this process, you run into, how, how should I have initiative? What if, oh yeah, I have an idea. Oh, I'll remember that later. And four hours later, you're like, what the hell was I saying? Because I don't remember what it was. I didn't write it down. So I can tell right out of the gate, I've started to write crap down. And whenever it comes to me now, it gets put in a document, a Google Doc, something somewhere where I can grab it, even if it's just an email I send to myself so I can keep the information I'm thinking of and don't accidentally lose it. But yeah, thanks, Blake. Good stuff, man. Thank you. Yeah, don't pay the ferryman. Blake yes, Ryan. Absolutely. Find it at Drive Through RPG. Mm hmm. You can read the next one there, Sean. All right. Comments on 301. We start off with Jim, who writes, 
I haven't listened to the episode yet. <sighs> I'm still putting you in there, Jim. He hasn't even listened to the episode. He can already comment on it. Like hey, he, that's that. He already knows the deal. how good our listeners are. He already knows the deal. Like, ah, Brats, you dumb shits. Let me tell you. So lay it on me, Jim. Uh, let's see. Or watch the stream, I guess. But the topic reminds me of a conversation on MeWe a while back, the social platform MeWe. Someone was complaining about people making new systems. It was about OSR-flavored 5e hacks, if I recall correctly, instead of just using one of the systems that already exist and how all those attempts weren't worthwhile. I said, if I make a game, it'll be because I wanted to do it and because I enjoy creating things, even if they're not very original or someone else has done it better. Sometimes creating things is a selfish act and whether anyone else has use for it is at best a secondary consideration. And a bit later, it'd have been a shame if everyone who thinks about making a game decided not to because someone else might decide it's not worthwhile. So I'm glad you're making your own game, and I hope it's creative, creatively satisfying work for you. If you decide to share it outside of your gaming group, so much the better. Edit. I should mention, sometimes it's not the external critics that end up discouraging one from creating something new. I think most, if not all, the people in this particular community of gamers will be pretty encouraging of such efforts. It's the internal critic that starts thinking, why am I bothering with this? Doesn't System X already do this better than what I'm trying? Does anyone actually need another dungeon crawl slash investigation slash story game? The response to that internal critic can also be, who cares? I'm having fun. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that bit, Jim, because it is funny. I've seen that. I hadn't thought of it when I talked about it on last episode, but I have seen that before. Anything in the OSR space. Well, that's just not worthwhile. Oh, there's so much junk. Why are you? Oh, my God. Another system. Oh, my God. What a fucking loser. Right? Blah, blah, blah. What? Hey, don't buy it then. Don't look at it. Don't read it. I don't. I honestly don't believe there are too many game systems. There. Said it. There's not. Because if you don't like it, it you won't play it. Move on. I, <laughs> it's the, you know. If Hater's Sandy, gonna if, hate. Hater's gonna hate. Yeah, if Sandy Peterson would listen to somebody who I'm positive told at one point, why the hell are you making this Call of Cthulhu? And that sounds dumb. We wouldn't have one of the greatest role playing games ever made. Wow, greatest role playing games ever made. Yeah, we wouldn't have it. We wouldn't have it. You know, it. Strong all words. That, all that's all those really cool games though that we're all having fun playing. Yes. There are people out there. Sean, I've talked about Shadowrun. I like Shadowrun. As a concept, as a rule system, I've never found one that really went grabbed me. We've talked about off mics and on mics sometimes. Like sometimes that peanut butter and jelly combination just doesn't work well for us. However, if somebody would have said, that's dumb, that's not worthwhile, that's stupid, you shouldn't even try. There are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of people who love that game, that world, and all things about it that wouldn't have it. We wouldn't have cars, Brett. Of course we wouldn't we have cars. Horses. All sorts we got horses. We don't shit. need a car. We'd have better buggy whips. That's what we'd have. It's a bunch of shit. Yeah, but anyway, Jim. We wouldn't have airplanes. Goddamn right. Thank you, Jim. I like that. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Got me. I got us all fired up. All right, Gabe. He's following <laughs> up. All right, let's see if Gabe's got to keep, keep the fires burning. Uh, this is such a good comment, and there's so much to say in response. Oh. I think that a lot of what's been called OSR has shifted to DIY. Why do it yourself? Um... 
chances are one does so anyway. Whenever one makes a ruling, one does it yourself. Get enough of those rulings together, and you've got yourself a new game. If one writes one's own game, it's super familiar. Uh, time taken looking up rules decreases, play is more efficient. As you say, it's, irre it's irrelevant if the resulting game is shared with a wider community or not. Doing it at all was the point. God damn, I love this guy. Thank you, Gabe. Still got the fires going. What do you got, Sean? Who's next? Borden. Oh, talk AKA about me. Todd Crapper, a.k.a. Broken Ruler Games. A, a, a man who knows a thing or two. A professional. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As someone whose entire creative career has centered around designing original games and systems, kudos to you for wanting to give this a shot, Fawford. Oh, thank you, sir. For me, it's been a masterclass in puzzles as you try to find a way to have either the physics of your world or the story prompts follow game mechanics to create a cohesive and coherent experience across the board. Even when I start using an existing system, like we're using the PIP system for our Wiccan Pagan RPG, Ironbound Guardians of Navala, it quickly becomes a hack of the original. However, when the first stage is playtesting, it becomes a true test of personal character and endurance. It's one thing to make sure the adventure you wrote works for your group. It's another to ensure your game can hold mustard at every table that will ever try it. <laughs> Luckily, you have a horde of ravenous fans eager to put whatever you make to the test and swarm you with other systems that might solve the 27 problems pointed out in session one. And there hasn't been a game designer who's been abducted and forced to rehash their work a la misery, so it's safer than writing a novel. Warden's got a good point. <laughs> That's actually, it's interesting. I, I One of my favorite things I'll hear thrown around at cons or online, especially at cons or at game shops when I was going to game shops and stuff, Something along the lines of, well, they obviously didn't play test this because anyone who would have really play tested this would have found this horrible flaw. There I, are I, some people that don't play test their shit, though. Oh, too. I, I, I know that, but yeah. I think it's adorable that somebody out there really honestly believes that there is some magical, mystical, mythical play test scenario that will solve all the problems for a game that basically has no boundaries. <laughs> Role-playing games offer a result to, what do you want to do? I want to do this. Can I try it? Ah! You know, and not every one of those eventualities makes its way through playtesting, I am certain. But anyway, very good points, Todd. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. All right. This one from Tom on designing a campaign. Has this been done? It sounds familiar, but I listen to a lot of gaming podcasts. Now, you've touched on the general topic of campaigns, so I'm not sure. You want to run a campaign. You get together with your group, everyone creates a character, and then you run a few introductory sessions or scenarios so that everyone has a feel for the character and their setting and mechanics. Now, just to be clear, Tom's stepping away from the topic from last week. This is a totally different topic. So, When you realize you didn't really set up anything long-term. In the past, I always got ideas from the character backgrounds or things that happened in those first few sessions, and then I built off of those. Inevitably, I seemed to end up with several ongoing interweaving storylines that went until I felt it was time to wrap them up. Those are often replaced with others. And then when, excuse me, when I was down to one big dramatic storyline, usually the one that sparked the idea for the campaign in the first place, I'd work to wrap that up and ta-da, we came to the end of a long, enjoyable game. A few things that are working against me this time. 
and a rapid, unexpected turnover of players right at the beginning of this game. This is a sci-fi game instead of a fantasy game. My current players aren't really as into providing a lot of backstory for the characters as past players have been. So I've got a good-sized group with characters everyone's happy with. They're interested in the setting and the game. I've run a few scenarios, but nothing's really developed. I have a few ideas, but they're going to, <laughs> they're going to take more laying out than usual. I don't do railroads. I let the players decide what they want to pursue and try to stay ahead of them. I know, the, I know what various groups will do if not interfered with. I adjust that as the players interfere. I may have talked my way into my own answer, but I'm still curious as to how you would set up a campaign. How much depends on the players? How much do you plan in advance as opposed to responding to your players? Do you outline general elements and fill it in as the game progresses? Anyway, if this has been discussed, please point me to the specific episodes. Thanks. Tom, I mentioned this in the forums. We have talked about this part in peace here and there for the last six years. I think it'd be worth pulling it together a little bit more to answer some of the specific questions you're talking about. Um, without having been there, or not being there, I should say, with this new group, because you've had a uh, turnover and whatnot, if this crew of players likes to do whatever you throw in front of them, and they're like, look, we're here to play, and they'll consume whatever it is you throw in front of them, it may feel like a railroad in a way. You're like, well, they're just doing whatever adventure I put in front of them. They're having fun, man. And they still have agency within every adventure that you're putting in front of them, Tom. So when you're doing it, and you say, well, they went from the Keyborn of Borderlands, now they went to uh, Slave Lords, now they went to Against the Giants, whatever it is you threw in front of them, or if this is a sci-fi game, you know, they saved the Romulans, they took out this, they did that thing, whatever thing. If they're just happy trucking along, they still get to make really cool decisions. And if whatever the next adventure, the next piece of the story that you put in front of them is predicated on how well or events from the previous adventure, I think that could be fine. Again, I'm not there, Tom, so I'm may possibly making up an answer that you don't need, but that just that's what came to mind when I read through this. Sean, any thoughts from you? I was in Mr. Hobbs's game this past Sunday, mm -hmm. BX game. We were talking, and I think we made a joke with at Jason's expense. But um, I think it also goes back to what we've said about even hex crawls and linear games. I think is a lot of railroads get really mistaken for what what linear is and linear is not necessarily bad because I think there's a difference between railroading and, and a linear path. We've talked about that. Yeah. The, 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 what people mean by railroading is I had no choice. Correct. But no I think matter it's often, what my characters did, this was going to occur. Correct. But I think it's also, I, I think it also morphs or gets into the gray area as people equate some of that to here's a module, here's a story you have to follow. It's not, but some people may consider it somewhat anyways. But going off of that and going in, getting into a campaign, if you don't have, I think, just my personal opinion, because, well. Hey, man, it's our show. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sweet. Sweet. Um, so it's, if you have something too abstract, hex crawl is great, but you still got to put stuff in the hex. And you may have other hexes relate to each other. Or, you know, you find find the runes in one hex, and in those runes you find something that belongs to something else in another town. You can kind of connect those pieces. 
So there is that kind of, I think I would even say connecting those pieces become more linear. Now, if you have a hex crawl and they're able to go in six different directions and you're giving them six different choices, great. But a completely open sandbox game, some players are just like, I don't know what to do. I'll tell you, man, one of the cool things. too open. Yep. One of the things you can do with that, and I love what you said there, and this brought this to my mind, Sean, is that you come through and you say, hey, I went to six different hexes, and we have six different things. Then as the game master, you slot this thing in there of so-and-so looking for something, you know, this clue, this hint. You drop a thing out there, and they go, oh, my God, she's looking for this thing. Well, I found two of those over here. Oh, my God, thank you so much. And, oh, my God, you just started a war. You didn't even know you did that. Or all this stuff you've been accumulating, you know, you've got five of these parts that all kind of connect together to this stick. You're like, oh, neat, I got a magic five-parted stick. And suddenly, finally says, the rod of seven parts, you idiots, what the hell are you doing? Oh, my God, it's an artifact. Oh, why is that why, Um, you know... Marceline, the vampire queen, wants to eat us? Is that is that why? Because she wants that? Ah, fuck. That's that's what that is. So sometimes even when the players are kind of happily trucking along, doing that thing, you know, you, you take the, the stuff of the world and bring it to their doorstep. They're inadvertently getting themselves caught up in something, right? I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and that's, I mean, get to your questions more specifically, Tom, on like how to prep it all out and and how much do you how much do you as the game master outline and kind of want to tackle every session versus well I'll just highlight these two points and then I'll let the players determine the rest that's more of a preference and a balance thing and I think you will get that over time and even if you start out your campaign with you know, five things written in stone that the players obviously have to accomplish. And if it doesn't, if they don't, it doesn't go anywhere. You'll realize how that feels. And then the next session you run, you may not want to do that. Or things are already put into motion and you can just kind of roll with it. You'd be surprised at how quickly the players are going to go off in a direction that may not even make any sense whatsoever. But if you just let them do it, they they don't know the difference. It's I've uh, I've said this before to certain people, and they're like, oh, "I hate railroads." I'm like, "This, but you, you like Call of Cthulhu?" Well, yeah. <laughs> Many times, um, the dread god is going to rise. The cultists are going to raise really high, and Cthulhu will rise and plunge the world into madness, murder, and darkness, covered with burning ashes and nuclear waste. Oh, yeah. If you fuck up. The world goes pear-shaped, and it's all over. Now, granted, some keepers don't do that, and they don't like their endings that way. But, you know, a very purist approach to Call of Cthulhu is, you screwed up, bad guy wins. Sorry. <laughs> you know, because the wheels are turning, a thing's going to happen. Unless you interrupt that line of things going to happen, unless you interrupt it enough in the right places, it going to happen, and then shit goes bad for you. So, and it's not that all Call of Cthulhu adventures are... are Railroady, no options, blah blah blah. But in those games, one of the reasons why that type of a I would dare dare I say railroad is fun is because you do have agency. 
You can try something. You can try multiple different things to stop the line, stop that linear progression. It's all an effort and futility. It can be because it's Cthulhu. <laughs> but you're trying against desperate odds to save something or to do a thing. And you have to get creative to try to do it. And sometimes the keeper's like, you know what? I never thought of that. That's fucking wicked. And she looks at you and she says, that works. Like, oh, thank God. Thank you. Thank you. We made it work. You know, it's interesting. It's just uh, settings, systems, genres, it all plays, man. But that's well, yeah. that's, a, that's a good topic, though, Tom. I just need to figure out how, to, how I want to digest that one because there's a number of different ways to go at it. Sean and I are already rambling around it here, so. If, right. you, if you had us and then, like, the guys from Misdirected Mark on and Todd Crapper, and we were all going to run a, something similar or a homebrew of some kind, but we were given the story elements, like mm-hmm. like an Iron GM competition. They give you elements, and you got to incorporate it into the adventure. And how to prep for that and how to present it, all four of those are going to be probably pretty different. Like Brett's going to not have any notes. I will probably document some and have to have something very solidified. And so a lot of it's just going to be personal taste. And then it all depends. Some will ping the players for info. Some will just dictate it to them and say, "These, this is the situation you find yourself in versus saying, I don't know, you're in a bar. What's the name of the bar? Why are you there? Yeah. What are you, you know? So it's you're there isn't an, any firm, hard and fast answers to some of the questions you pose. And some of that's just going to be your preference and the player, players you have. Oh, totally, man. I was just so. going to say the players' preferences, too. I mean, we've yeah. talked about this before. Some players are like, what's the name of the bar, Sean? The fuck are you asking me for? You're the game master. You're the game master. You got, you're, that's your job. Yeah, well, that, maybe. that happens. Some yeah. be, and some, some groups are more than happy to have that be the answer. Right. They love that answer. That's how they play, and they enjoy the hell out of that. So. Oh Lord, it's a big. It's Could a big go thing on to forever, totally. Of Tom. Yeah, totally. It's good stuff, though, Tom. All right. Yep. Your turn, Sean. It is my turn. Woot woot. All right. Phil comments on episode three hundred. Great episode, guys. Congrats on reach three hundred, reaching three hundred. That's an impressive milestone. Thanks, Phil. You're talking NPCs. Got me uh, thinking about my recent D and D campaign using Out of the Abyss. It was a pain in the ass having to think about and run all NPCs the module sets up in the first chapter. I think there were 12 of them, and that's not even considering the number of drow in the outpost. DM overload. When the party escaped into the Underdark and we were in combat, I'd forget to narrate the NPC actions all the time, and it became almost a running joke when one of them died during the encounters. By by the end, the party wasn't putting in uh, too much effort to save them. Red shirts. They're just all wearing red shirts. All red shirts, yeah. Stand in number two. Yes. Uh, in fact, the campaign fizzled out. One of the members had to drop out for personal reasons. The other three in the group said they were enjoying the game, but they felt it lacked direction. I could see their point. I dropped lots of clues on the demonic threat using stuff I homebrewed, in particular an encounter with a green hag. Hell, they even had to sneak past the major Orcus temple surrounded by undead. But to the group, it just felt like they were running through the Underdark to avoid the drow instead of this major denom- demonic threat. I'm not too upset about it. I'm blaming the module. Ha! Eh, why not, man? Hey, blame the module. Eh. Why, not? why not? What the hell? What the hell? Can't defend itself. What's it going to do? <laughs> What's it going to do? Beat you up? I don't yeah. think so. Yeah. Stupid module. Let's see that module. I'll kick it for you. Yeah. 
And those same three players in my Mothership game, so when we dropped out of the Abyss, we upped the number of Mothership games we play every week. Win! Nice. Looking forward to the future episodes and all the wisdom bombs you and the BSers communities, uh, community dr- continues to drop all the best. Thanks, Phil. Yeah, thanks, Phil. I'll tell you, I am currently in... We had to take a break because of the COVID stuff, and then we're trying to figure out if we're going to get back to the campaign. But my buddy Alpha is running out of the abyss um, before we he started the online uh, Undermountain campaign. And even in the Undermountain campaign, it's a lot of the guys I'm playing with are like, oh, what's my motivation? Why are we here? <laughs> what are we doing this for? They want a reason. Which and under, makes and Undermountain, sense. the way yeah. we're rolling Undermountain out, I'm like, guys, it's a dungeon call. Make your characters appropriately. Lenny and I had this talk. I said, dude, this is why I built my guy. Oh, you even have a 10-foot pole. That's kind of cool. I'm like, I have that for a reason. So this fucking dungeon crawl on the outside of the box. I'm going in fully prepared. And out of the abyss, we escaped. We got out of the Underdark one. Whew, we had all these crazy-ass characters. Got out of the Underdark one. All right. (sighs) We're fine. Time to go home. (laughs) And somebody went, well, do we care about that? I'm like, fuck it. I don't care. My character is like, no, I, I'm i like, my character thinks he's this long lost elven prince who's stuck in a Quagos body. I'm like, oh, I'm going. I'm out of here. Take it off, man. And I go, fight, fight. Alpha turned it around. He homebrewed some crap. And I shouldn't say crap. It's, it's some really good stuff. We had a lot of fun and craziness. And Grotz, the demon lord, is in there. And craziness is occurring. And slowly but surely got us back and into it. I've not read that adventure. But, uh, this is the second or third gr- time I have now heard somebody else say that it lacked. Why are we here again? Type mm. of uh, type of stuff. I don't know. I haven't read it myself, so I don't know. But I don't. I don't have it either. I don't think. I was just looking to see, and I don't. I don't think I have it. But but you know what? It is fun to blame the module. And sometimes the module is actually written. And I'll just say this broadly speaking: in any adventure, module, whatever you want to call it, could be written in such where the writer. The author is expecting that you're going to fill in certain gaps, which is absolutely legit, totally legitimate way to go. Did they explain that to you appropriately? Blah, 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 blah. Sometimes you're like, look, everybody knows. And it turns out not everybody does know. Anyway, so it's not unheard of to have adventures with uh, gaps in them where the game master gets to do their thing. However, there are different levels of that and limits that certain people have different people so anyway thank you for the uh, compliment as well thank you very much man that's very nice yeah let's get into the main topic yo yo let's do it you ready right you ready yeah all right man so monsters I was talking to my kids about what game they want to play after Call of Cthulhu. And as I said earlier, they came up with Middle-Earth role-playing. They want to try something different, old, that they not played before, very complicated. They want something. They heard me tell stories. They want to try this. Like, that sounds cool. And one of the things we talked to, Ilana brought up, and she says, yeah, the, um, what time period will it be? Like, what age? Said, well, after the, after the movies, after the War of the Ring, you've seen Lord of the Rings movies, you know, the books are different, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, Dad, I get that, I get that. And I said, you know, one of the things that's kind of interesting is that there are very few redeemable bad people or redeemable monsters in Tolkien from my 
understanding. My scholarly level of Tolkien understanding is there's only very few things. And AJ said, yeah, that's kind of nice, actually. And Alana said, yeah, sometimes sometimes I just want to kill goblins without having to worry about if they're good goblins. <laughs> and we shared a laugh. I got thinking about it. I'm like, you know, sometimes, and, and this is old news to many people, but I... With the type of gaming I do with my home group, with my Avalon game, often saying, you know, moral dilemmas and difficult choices and ambiguity and so on, that can be fun. It can be very uh, mentally engaging and so forth. But sometimes it's okay to have the monsters simply be monsters that need to be fought and overcome. And not everything needs to be fraught with moral dilemmas all the time. And quite frankly, some players that I've met, even some game masters I've met over the years, don't like that stuff. They like a more black and white approach, right? And I know sometimes some people think that is a lesser type of gaming where like the morally ambiguous stuff, the tough moral choices, do we save them? Do we do this? We encountered the Warren, we fighting the kobolds and we find the kobold children. What do we do? Um, is this death Knight redeemable or not redeemable and so forth? And Sometimes the whole, that whole component, that conundrum isn't necessary. You can still have a hell of a good game and some, you can even mash the two up. You have ambiguousness and dilemmas and so forth, but still have bad, bad guys, monster things that are just purely freaking monsters. So, so Sean, when I throw that at you to begin with here, what do you, what's your natural, I should say, what's your gut reaction? Do you think that's crazy talk? Do you think it makes sense? Would you, do you fall one way or the other? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't typically throw something at the. I don't have an antagonist throw something at the party purposely to to make them have a moral quandary. T typically, like it's not. They're going through a cave and it's a bunch of goblins and, oh, there's baby goblins. I usually don't do that. I, I don't, unless it's specific to the plot for some reason, I typically don't do that. So, but having said that, you're damn right if Jeff's running a paladin, I'm going to definitely put my consciousness ear voice in his brain and tell him <laughs> like, wait a minute, you can't run away. This is a lich. You gotta go in there and defeat the evil man. You gotta it's desecrated land. You gotta, you know, come on. But that's what are still you, kinda what are you doing that's, here. That's still a little black and whitey, right? Where it's not like, well, maybe it's a good lich. Right? There's no redeem the lich. Now the paladin's like, nope, smite, smite, smitey, smite, smite, right? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of demons and devils and stuff like that. So it's pretty you don't like easy. Those? Well, I like them. I mean, but I don't think it's a matter of I don't find them as um, as something I would in a role playing game. Uh, okay, there's probably role playing games where it's like, well, I'm a tiefling, I have some devil blood, whatever, uh -huh. you know, stuff like that. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about classic kind of classic D and D as having chaotic evil monster creatures that need to. to they need to go away. They need to go. They're they're bad news. They're bad for business. Gotta go. Gotta go. You sorry. 
world is closed to you. <laughs> bye bye. I show you the door. So one, I've talked. So AJ and Lana and I were talking about this, and my my daughter, being a smart little little person, is like, well, you know, these challenges, this thing, because she's reading a lot about mythology and story building and all this stuff, and we're talking about. It. I said, so Ilana, I said, not everything has to, you know, have essentially a moral standing per se. She's like, what do you mean? I said, well, let's think about it this way. So, a lot of times in Certain myths. I mean, myths are there to teach you lessons sometimes and, and lore and whatnot. But sometimes, you know, the monsters are there to show you in a fairy tale scenario that monsters or mythology, that monsters can be defeated, that the evil thing can go away. And there's more, I mean, yes, sometimes you have morally ambiguous monsters or they have, you know, undercurrents of different things and approaches. But I think sometimes a clearly defined monster or bad guy can be incredibly effective because your players feel it's really you feel really good after you defeat that thing. If you know the thing you're going after is 100% a foul abomination and should not be allowed. If Orcus should be driven from this plane because he's destroying that demon prince of the undead is doing this horrible thing. If this nasty bad Sith Lord is slaughtering younglings, you know, randomly on Coruscant, maybe somebody should do something about that. It's a horrible person. Something needs to be done. Now, Grand Star Wars has its own stuff, but... There's there's, redemption, man! You can have redemption, but not everything needs to be redeemed. No. And that's what I'm saying. Sometimes a clearly defined, you know, a Cthulhu cultist is one of my favorite examples, right? They are insane. They believe that they need to summon Yog Sothoth, open the key, um, and bring about the the end of the world. That's what they want to do. They are not redeemable. They're bad. There's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. Now, you can write a story. You can have a campaign where the person is redeemable and so forth. But generally speaking, they're not. Right? They are the evil thing, the bad thing that needs to be defeated. And again, this isn't for everybody. Not, not to be done all the time, per se. But I'm just saying not every group and every player, game master, wants to have morally ambiguous drama in every game that they have or more tough moral choices. Sometimes, we've talked about this before, sometimes you've had a really shitty day at school, at work, whatever it is that you're doing, and you want to kill kill some orcs and take their stuff, right? You want to do the murder hobo thing. And we will often hear that that's lesser gaming or that's weak You know, that's weak sauce gaming. There's better gaming than that. This other type of drama is more blah, blah, blah. For me, I'm like, this is just a gaming preference, right? And you can have both, but you don't have to. One of them is not greater than the other. Nah, I don't know, man. Yeah? Gaming police, dude. Gaming police. (laughs) Technical foul. Technical foul. Playing RPGs wrong. Oh, well, possibly. Sorry. You're going to have to go to (laughs) RPG jail. Maybe cite you, RPG site. So citing, <laughs> citation. Can't I got a couple. Of, citation. I got a, citation. I got a couple uh, options that I've used in the past to um, to make sure that the monster is, you know, the, a defeatable thing, right? So if you think about like Call of Cthulhu or even the Warhammer world, if something is a spawn of chaos gods whose goal is the destruction of the known world and the plunging of the entire universe into absolute chaos, death, and destruction, that's its thing. It needs to be defeated. Um, 
dragons and giants sometimes, uh, dragons could be representations of corruption or, you know, physical manifestations of evil slash wrong things. A dragon's greed. A giant's could be senseless violence, etc. You know, these are unnatural corruptions that um, exist because they're the physical manifestation of something vile, right? You, they're not fixable. It's just a thing. And the way to fix it is to purge that thing because then you've killed the dragon. Then you have eliminated some of the problems that come with dragon, dragon greed and so on and so forth. The other thing I've done is that those type of creatures tend to be um, non-sentient or unable to procreate, right? Where the, the chaos gods, the spawning, like the, the that type of thing. Um, yeah, God, I, if I remember correctly, way back in the day, Warhammer, I think 40k, had this logic for the goblins and the orcs and stuff. They were just spawned. They were like like a mushroom, like a fungus, practically. They just grew. They weren't, they didn't breed. They didn't do this, that, and the other. They were just there. They were horrible physical manifestations of what they were, right? Of this monstrous violence and greed and destruction and, and so forth. And they didn't, they weren't there for any, they weren't part of the natural world, right? So their monsters need to be defeated. All the, you know, all the good goes out to defeat the thing. Demons and devils, you know, if it's behind it, it's evil. You know, when Jubilex shows up, you got to get the some bitch out the planet, right? You have to get him out of this planet. Got to show him the door. Yeah, you got to get him out of here. It's got to go. Now, yeah. there's going to be followers of those monsters that may say, "Hey, we uh, we 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 just want to be here." Yeah, that's where I think where the moral dilemma component comes in, and where the your sentient being, your twilights, your dwarves, your humans, your elves, whatever it is, the those groups are looking at this like, "Look, hey, I'm trying to survive. I'm trying to do a thing," and that's where you know. The ultimate bad thing. And I'm not saying like all the different lieutenants and subs underneath the hierarchy of, of this horrible evil dragon thing, right? Sometimes like, look, we're dragon cultists because this is the only way to survive. That's great. You can look at them and say, hey, look, you can, I can redeem you. The whole redemption story of you don't need to sacrifice young men to the dragon every Thursday during a full moon because we can take care of the dragon and this thing you've been forced to do. You know, well, I would question its morality and your ethics for doing so. I can help you fix this by taking care of that problem. Or, hey, you're corrupted. You, having been corrupted, this poor Twi'lek was seduced by the dark side. I can pull them back. Right. Um, we talked a little bit about it in Lord of the Rings with my kids. And I said, you know, Gollum, Smeagol, Gandalf and others often hoped for his possible recovery. Right. So there's small, very specific things, but Sauron himself, unassailably evil. Got to right? go. Got to go. That thing's got to go. Fair. The the underneath, and that's what I'm talking about, like the clearly defined monster, bad guy, the bad thing, like the big one, the one that's going to be at the end boss, you know, with enough uh, actions so that the fight makes sense. Right, Sean? Because we don't want to have a... Yeah, you got to get, uh, <laughs> get some mooks in there. Get some mooks in there. Does that make sense, though? It does make sense, and I think um, I would say I would hope that a majority of folks are are usually playing that way. Is my why is my hey? 
What is your I cat going nuts? My cat's back. I don't know if you can see him. No, I can't. He's What's like, he doing? Well, now he's down. <laughs> he's stalking he's, you. He's, well, he, you know, like stupid cats. <laughs> he's, a, he's a smart cat because what he does is he, he does whatever it takes to get your attention, including beating up our other cat. And then when you get his, when he gets your attention, he's like, hey. What's hey man, food? I could totally hungry. You should yeah. feed me. I'd stop. Yeah. I've stopped beating the crap out of cats if I had some food. Right, exactly. Anyways, the the trials and tribulations of Augie. Um, so, yeah, I would say a lot of folks probably play it that way. Like, hey, there's this, you know, there's the big bad evil mind flayer that wants to take over the world and corrupt people and and not do any and plummet it into darkness. So I have. I think if it, if they're out to plummet the world <laughs> into darkness, into darkness, they need to go. Exactly. Because us playing in the world, we need our vitamin D, man. So, <laughs> and we cur- don't have supplements. So in my yeah, damn right we don't. So my current Avalon campaign, right? I think I may have mentioned this here. If not, it's in the forums. There are these two Penangalon, these horrible Polynesian vampire twin sisters, the flo- floating heads with the organs and stuff. Look them up. They are evil, bad. They're trying to control and take over. They're hurting people. They're bad. The party has been trying to figure out how to deal with them, push them off, stave them off, lie to them, try to figure things out. In the meantime, though, they find other people, lesser players on that grand stage that have other problems of their own. Like this one woman has these triplet sons who are ghouls. They're her kids. She doesn't know what to do. That's how they become long, ghouls. It's a long sorted story. It's um, short version is their father was a ghoul. He believed he was cursed. Met married the mother, had the kids. Unfortunately, passed it on to the children. Ah, uh, ghouls. So is diff- he- ghouls work different in Avalon. So what happens then is he's like, ah, I am cursed. I can free my children if you, my wife, kill me. You kill me, we will free our children. She does this. It doesn't work because that's not how ghouls function. Oh. So she she has murdered her husband. She's in this horrible state trying to figure out what to do. And um, Lenny and uh, JR's character helps her through this trial and tribulation. And they take care of this problem and they sort things out and they, they fix it. It made the ghouls even kind of a, a sympathetic critter in this case because they, you know, oh, my God, what are we going to do here? That was a minor story. We still had to have our wonderful moral, moral, morally ambiguous discussion. Monsters. Oh my God, what do we do? This is a quandary. Um, Lenny had some stuff going with his um, with his family. He had to deal with so forth. But at the end of the day, the two Penangalon vampires. Those are the fucking problem, and they've got to go. Right now, the players have been just trying to get data information how can we defeat them what can we possibly do every trick we've tried they basically laughed at us and just you know found ways to manipulate us practically turning us into mental slaves at some point this is terrible and how do we do this what do we do here but the lesser creatures in the in the tale are redeemable they have things they can do to fix but those vampire those vampires ain't no fixing them they gotta go because GTFO, baby. Yeah. They're the big threat to the neighborhood. They're the thing that needs to to be gotten rid of. Even when the one crazy um, Hammerite cultist came in and began and murdered some people, murdered Lenny's character's sister out of spite, like that motherfucker's got to go. There was no take him to the magistrates, get him on trial. 
There was none of that shit. There was a find him in the sewer, in his sewer hideout and take him down, right? Again, certain bad guys were just irredeemably bad. And I have found that when you have those, the players oftentimes, if you feel, you feel this wonderful sense of accomplishment, like I defeated the vampires. I stopped Cthulhu. I defeated this thing. On, it doesn't mean that, excuse me, how you defeat those creatures can have moral implications potentially, right? If you defeat the two Penangalon vampires by burning the entire fucking neighborhood down, regardless of life lost and who else you hurt in the process, so you can just destroy everything. Eh, possible issues here. Um, but anyway, the I know you can have a massive redemption story about the bad guy, Darth Vader, right? But even then, Palpatine, I don't think he was redeemable in the background. The grand, the, the story wasn't on Palpatine. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> the story isn't on Palpatine. The story's on Vader and Luke and the Skywalker clan. But Palpatine is an irredeemable evil fuck that needs to be dealt with, right? So, I anyway, does this... I think we're on the same page, but I just, it, it's interesting to me. Sometimes I get caught up myself where I, I want to make sure everything is a tough choice and I want to make, oh, this is a tough moral decision. Oh, there's an ethical question. And I have found if I lean on that so heavily or too heavily, like with every bad guy, every monster, especially monsters, right? And that's why I do a lot like you do. If it's a, if it's a goblin warren, it's the forefront of a goblin war band that has taken this place. There are warriors there. There are warrior goblins of whatever gender and sex. They're all there, and they're warriors. They're here for this one purpose, to join the battle. So taking them out is fine. I don't need to bring in, do you kill the goblin babies or not? These are orc babies. What do you do? I don't have to have that discussion, or with giants, right? A lot of times, I'm using these monsters as... Um, sometimes quite simply just cat and fodder because they're just, sure. they're creatures, they're monsters. And the game we want to play tonight is an old school dungeon crawl where we're going to go in and we're going to kill all the undead. No one is here to try to save the ghost. No one is here to try to find a way to put the restless souls of these skeletal warriors anywhere other than six feet back underground where they fucking belong. Right. Whatever the case is. Um, but I think there's. Anyway, when I get myself caught up too much in morally ambiguous stories and blah, 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 my players get exhausted with it. I've had them look at me. Is there anything here? Is there any actual bad person here? Right. Oh, my God. This is, you know, we're, we're trying to be heroes, for Christ's sake. This is, we're making tough moral choices every day, all day. I, I, I didn't know if I could have a sandwich. I tried to eat an apple and I felt bad. You know, it's just, it's too much sometimes. Um, and it's not needed every moment of every, every adventure. Is that fair? Yeah, that's why uh, Sean, man, he he points out from Tabletop Bellhop podcast where it's like just run sci-fi and have them all be robots. You could totally do that, yeah. Robots or you know, you, some spawn of some kind. Want to do an iRobot where it became it gets sentience then and suddenly you have to have the, the Will Smith discussion with your iRobot? Like, are, are, are you really? Are you human? Do you have a soul now? Ah! Sometimes people don't want to, they just want to kill that. They want to, Roger, Roger. I want to shoot that fucker. I shoot the droid. I shoot the battle droid. They don't want to deal with the battle droid that gained sentience. Number five doesn't have to be alive all the time. No. 
you know. Anyway, so just yeah, I mean, it's personal preference. People, I mean, people are like, "Yep, that's the thing that drives my my crank, turns my crank." And then there's and there's games that don't have it. Like that's not the thing. Like you no. don't your your goal is to is different. I think what you just said there is really important, actually, Sean, because you know I don't know. Kevin used to run Monster Arts quite a bit, and I know a number of other people who play that. Those are different types of games around certain types of feelings and types of adventures, if you will, or stories that they're there to help you tell. Right? Yeah, they're di- they're different. Yeah, they're no, oh, they're, they're way different. They're they like, are not. They're not your classic D anD D adventure. They're no, not. They're a humans classic... with like with monster characteristics. Yeah, and it's like you know in in. In a Shadowrun game, you don't have... Yes, Mr. Johnson's going to screw you over. It's an overused trope. But sometimes that's fun to have. Mr. Johnson doesn't have to be redeemable. He can just be a absolutely soulless corporate shill who, honestly, in the spirit of this game, we could put a bullet in his head. Because he's the one to betray us, or whatever the case is. You know, sometimes they're just bad. Well, From, and- a, from the very simplistic game perspective, it doesn't have to be this thing. It doesn't... It doesn't have to be a moral quandary all the time. And mm-hmm. some would say, well, you know, Mr. Johnson screwed us over. You know, we we should probably throw him in jail, take him alive, mm-hmm. turn him over to this, turn him over to that. So there is, there can be, it just depends on how deep you want to go and whether that's the type of game you want to run. But other times, you know, Let's face it, we play some role-playing games, there's senseless violence, and, you know, it's just, it's, it's, you're just going to have some casualties. Yeah, you know, it's the, uh, <laughs> your superheroes, right? So, Superman punches um, uh, Darkseid through 16 buildings. Hopefully no one was in them, right? <laughs> they right, all, right. It was, yeah, you're trying to beat up this one guy, how about... Not destroying an entire city full of yeah, exactly. You know all the horrible helpless humans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's <laughs> where's the picket signs now, buddy? But at the end of the day, these guys, you know, these guys, these superheroes, right? The the X Men take out so and so, they lock him up. They do whatever they can, they lock him up. Wolverine doesn't usually gut Magneto, even when he's got him dead to rights. You know, that's not the purpose. Well, that's the that's the whole quandary behind Civil War, man. Hey, yeah. you guys are out of control, man. You're destroying cities to save the world. Do they necessarily need to be destroyed? Well, that was uh, the old uh, Dark Knight Returns before Frank Miller went completely fucking bonkers. But the original Dark Knight Returns that Frank Miller did, too, where superheroes are outlawed. And it's, I guess where I'm going is that sometimes the the dealing with the reality, the our moral dilemmas and issues can be very difficult. And sometimes we had a hard enough day as it is. It was a tough day. I already had to deal with some of this crap. I had to have a hard conversation with a staff member at work. I had to have a difficult conversation with my boss. My wife and I are dealing with something. My oldest kid, blah, blah, blah. It it can be tough. And sometimes we want to escape. Give me a clearly defined monster and we will go defeat the monster and I will have done some good. And there's there's something wonderful about that sometimes. So anyway, not that you need Brett and Sean's permission, but you got Sean and Brett's permission. You can have a clearly defined monster. Not everything has to be a redemption story for everything you run into. Again, certain games are designed 
for more redemption stories, for more tugging at your heartstrings and really pulling pieces and parts of you. Not all games are. Um, and sometimes if you find yourself trying to make certain games have that in it, it can be fun for a while. But unless the game explicitly is designed for that, you have to make sure that your expectations are meshing with your players and your game master, right? You know, if the game master is running a game where, hey, this is the moral moral thing, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, I just, I'm sorry, it's a bad guy, I got to kill it. Or if you, if the game, <laughs> yeah, whatever, you, you all, you're smart gamers, you know what I'm talking about here. But anyway, I think it's cool. It's just a different way to do things sometimes, or if nothing else, to remind yourself that sometimes having um, a clearly defined evil thing to defeat can be pretty damn, pretty damn good. Um, if you've done this type of thing, if you've used it to good effect and so forth, if you've got points, counterpoints, or other ideas, let us know. Like I said, this is, it came from discussions Sean and I have had, but a lot of it came from my talk with my kids about um, different games and settings and how sometimes it's... It's fun to know that this certain thing needs to be defeated. Unquestionably defeated. Sometimes it's a no-brainer. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you got to make it a no-brainer. Yeah. Yep. Delta green, man. <laughs> it's all got to go. <laughs> Every, if burn it down. Burn it. You got, it's it got to go. That's the purpose of Delta green, man. Shit's got to go. <laughs> all right. Let's move on to die roll. Die roll, baby. 2d4 miscellaneous gaming geekery we want to bring to you uh got three this week some of you have, are already in the loop on these a uh, first one monty cook games launches beneath the monolith which is numenera or the ninth world they're setting for numenera for 5e so if you like numenera and you're like yeah i'm not a big cypher system person but i love the setting there you go uh number two jim henson's labyrinth if you haven't seen the movie, go out and check it out. They have the adventure game on Drive-Thru RPG. I think it was launched a while ago, right? I think they brought yeah, it back. Yeah, I think it was. I think yeah. it came back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it went out of print. People complain that the PDF's too much money. It's 30 bucks. It Pay creators, man. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, it's, a go it's a licensed. Spend, yeah, I don't know. That's just me. It's a licensed property. Bitching, bitching, moaning. It was about uh, it. put out in uh, motion picture. River Horse and River Horse 2019, dude. Not that long ago. I don't know. My take anyway. is if you like Jim Henson's Labyrinth and you like that game, pay for it. And as long as it's not $1,000. I don't know. Yeah, not Buy everything it. has to, not everything has to be free or cheap. Doesn't have to be two dollars. No, it doesn't. Right. You can pay, you can pay real you can pay real money for your games, people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, last one. Tron Three has been announced. Really? Well, yeah, it's been kind of on the burner. It's been canceled. Jared Leto was slotted. I think they're going to bring him back. Daft Punk's going to be involved if they want to be involved. So uh, the last Tron movie, eh. Meh. It didn't didn't fire at home like the first one for me. But hey, it's Tron, man. I like Tron. I read the book when I was a kid. I Did you? Tron. Yeah. Huh. I own a Flynn's t-shirt, man. Nice. Love Tron. Tron, man. That's all we have for you this week. Yeah, next week I don't know what I'm gonna go into. I might um <sighs> I might dig into uh might dig into Tom's question a little bit. Got a couple of things percolating. So 
I'll hit you up outside of here, Sean. We'll figure out something. Tom's well, has got some wheels and some dirt, but I think what we might have to do if we do address take something Take it in like, pieces. Is take it in chunks and how how would Brett do it? How would Shaw do it? How would somebody else do it? And then, yeah. you know, whatever. We'll figure something out. Right. Good time, though. Sweet. We good? Yeah. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in on Twitch. We uh, stream here every Monday night, 8 p.m. Central Time, if you want to check us out. And then uh, YouTube, if you see this on YouTube, be give us a like and subscribe as well. Uh, and then if you want to hear the audio version of this, comes out every week. You can check us out at GamingInBass.com. Otherwise, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night. Good game and all. This episode produced by the following BSers. The Closet Gamer, Jared Rasher, Ray Otis, Old School DM, Jason Hobbs, Andy Hall, Wayne Humphrey, Ron Blessing, Roger Braslett, Brett Pazinski, Chris Steele, Brandon Barnes, Larry Hout, Eric Frankhouse, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Stefan Dragonspawn, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Eileen Barnes, Dan LaValley, Craig Huber, Ron Bishop, Old Scouser Roleplaying, Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Jim Fitzpatrick, Thomas Hook, Sky, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jeff Seifert, Angus, Eric Salzwedo, George Sedgwick, Robert Nemeth, Brian Kurtz, Laramie Wall, Perry Besor, Erica Villa, Andy Olson, John Kayward, Corey Gonzalez, Niall Diamond, Jeff Goad, Brian Rumble, David F. Baylog, Harrigan, Militia Bashinsky, Henry Newcomb, Eric Tavola, Hus Carl, Mark Soam, Ghost GM, Mike Hess Jr., Rory Weston, Curtis Hinson, Jim Ingram, Daniel Garrett, Jason Weeb, $1 Adventure Frameworks, Phil McClory, Jay Plata, Finolf, Chad Glayman, Josh Wallace, Matt Cyberlick, Adam Grotejohn, Michael Dinos, Ed Knights, Corey Welch, Merkel Froelich, Rich Wishon, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, and Aaron Ralia. Do us a favor. If you like what you heard, let somebody know about it. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.